0: hey welcome to another week of california haunts radio my name is charlotte i'm going to be your host for the evening for about an hour here and i want to welcome everybody how was your weekend i think mine was pretty good not not too bad not too bad not too bad you can see i got finally got the backdrop adjusted the way i like it so uh i think i'm gonna leave it like that and not touch it as soon as i touch it it blows the hill but anyway uh, again i want to welcome everybody again my name is charlotte i will be your host for the next hour I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. And You can find this at CaliforniaHaunts.org. Now, if you're interested in taking a look at the radio website, you can find that at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And we have this actually, we're going out live right now on the website. And uh, we also have all our archives there for the radio show. So if you want to get up there, you know, and, and check out our archives, we go all the way back to 2021 for this part of it. And then we're also going back 15 years for the Block talk radio show that we did when we were on Block talk um let's see oh also there's events on that page okay starting to get ahead of myself one thing i have to announce and say i am going to be busy on the weekend of the 19th and 20th i'm going to be in san jose at the mystical minds convention talking about ghost hunting so if you want to come down and meet me and talk with me that'd be great all right uh You can visit mysticalmindsconvention.com for tickets and more information about, you know, where to stay and what's going on, because it's not only me speaking, Nazir Muhammad Cohen speaking, Lauren Fenton speaking, Brad Olson speaking, Michael Fury is going to be there, Drake Fury, Tiffany Turner, Robin Korak, Beth Stielemann, and Shannon Del Del Florentino is going to be there as well, so it's not just me, but it's a kind of chance so I can get to meet you guys, because, you know, I see your names every day almost every day pop up on the feed and i like to meet you guys face to face sometimes so this might be a good way to do it so anyway that's february 19th and 20th at mystical okay all right let me move this i like to just do these like david letterman does and have that that sound of breaking glass that would be kind of fun anyway we got a great guest tonight um i'm gonna see if i get his name right we all know how great i am with names right not Richard, Richard, doesn't Richard is a forensic psychologist, but I'm going to let him tell you about what he does, right? Because he can do that better than I can. So, without further ado, let's bring Richard in. How are you doing? Good. How are you, sir? I'm okay. I do want your name? I'm not. Yeah, good it's fine.
1: <laughs> it's Luciary. Okay. Good Italian name. You got that. Uh, you had the, the Italian swing to it. That was,
0: it. I tried. I tried. So tell <laughs> us about you, sir.
1: Well, yeah, as you say, I'm a forensic psychologist. I practice in Southern California, uh, in Orange County, um, and I, I'm also a psychoanalyst. So I'm trained. Uh, I have a private practice, although I'm cutting down on that in my uh, recent years. Since writing the book, I've been so busy. Um, but uh, as a forensic psychologist, I'm, I'm hired by private attorneys or uh, by the courts. I'm on an expert witness panel to, to do evaluations of defendants for a variety of reasons. As a psychologist in the forensic area, in a legal system, that means that there are certain questions that frequently the court or the attorneys want me to answer with regard to the defendant's behavior or especially his mental state. Because usually when the, for most crimes, it's not just the behavior, it's the mental state at the time of the crime. So when that's in question or when that could be an issue, Mm
0: -hmm. then,
1: you know, then they usually call in a psychologist, a psychiatrist. And so if if someone's insane, uh, if there's a sex offense, um, what what are the risks of that happening again? What prompted this as a pedophile? Was this an aberration of some kind? Violence, uh, things like that—is that Is there, are they competent to stand trial? Were they psychotic at the time of the of, of the offense? Uh, what's mitigating? Is there anything mitigating? Is there anything excusing? So, someone who's psychotic and they kill their family member I say family member because that's what you usually mm-hmm. the victim on these cases. There, the, the prosecution will call a, an expert, um, defense will call an expert, and then we'll, they'll see how we view it and sometimes it goes to court sometimes they settle so it gets dicey and complicated and interesting
0: and how long have you been doing this sir
1: uh do i have to say that <laughs> 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 yeah for I, i've been well i got my license as a psychologist in 1981 mm-hmm. and then i you know had postdoctoral training you know you have to do a lot of that in psychoanalysis mental disability law um uh, neuropsychology, because a lot of these guys have um, mostly men—not um, all the time. I have a chapter in my book on on you know, uh, women who killed the babies, uh, a lady killer who's got But it's mostly men. But um, so I trained in neuropsychology. So I've been I've been doing the expert witness since about the late nineteen nineties. So over twenty five years, I started slowly because I and gradually started doing more and more of it um so so it's been a it's been a uh uh interesting ride
0: (laughs) i bet what is the difference between say a psychopath and a sociopath
1: yeah uh, that's a good question uh that's uh great interest in people in psychopathy in the psychopath i did a um i have a a blog page for psychology today Mm -hmm. uh, and i did a blog on the, the seven signs of a psychopath and it got like Almost now three hundred thousand hits. I mean, there's <laughs> people are really interested in that. Uh, so a uh, difference: so, psychopath and sociopath. Sociopath is an is a term used in the past. It's not really used professionally okay. anymore. the The equivalent would be antisocial personality now. Okay. Uh, but But actually, the uh, sociopath is probably a little more accurately descriptive. Uh, because the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath or antisocial personality is a psychopath has a certain personality structure that's very callous, that uh, very indifferent to people's emotions, is underreactive themselves emotionally, so things don't bother them. And that's it's, it's just, their, their brain is different, is organized differently. So... Uh, they they don't learn from experience even when they're younger they uh, nothing bothers them they don't they don't respond to discipline. they may behave, but they're sneaky then they get around it you know they they really don't uh, internalize the same kind of um, morals that someone who doesn't have that kind of tendency does. An antisocial personality is someone who's been antisocial maybe that has done criminal things, but they're not Um, they they don't have that kind of temperament and psychology. It may be because of their social environment. That's where sociopath come. They live in a bad neighborhood. They grew up in bad surroundings. They have learning disabilities or they bad self-esteem and they're angry or they're impulsive and they ADHD. So they ended up committing crimes and then they get, get in trouble and then it feeds on itself, but, but they don't, but they're capable of feeling, uh, remorse uh, they're not. They're not like a psychopath. So there's a big difference. Um, psychopaths are very dangerous, <laughs> uh, whether Ted, they're criminals or not.
0: <laughs> Ted Bundy was considered a, so- a sociopath, correct?
1: Uh, uh, oh no. Ted Ted Bundy was a psychopath.
0: Okay, okay. A uh,
1: Pure psych. I mean, he was somebody very callous. I mean, he. You know, this is the thing with psychopaths that, uh, like Ted Bundy, or and like a, a many of them,
0: mm-hmm. they could
1: be very bright and they can be very charming uh you know that that's the problem you you know it's it's not like um, you know someone has a major mental disorder like schizophrenia you, you you know that when they're acutely ill you any you know you don't have to be a psychologist to tell i mean they're talking to themselves they're you know that they're, they're paranoid but a, a psychopath is very could be very smooth you know very very kind very on the surface they know how to they they have social skills they know how to react they know how what they're supposed to be uh do, so they do that. But they're very instrumental. They do it for a reason. They do it because they have a plan. Like Ted Bundy, his plan was: I mean, women, he was good looking, right? He was uh, he, uh, women thought he was a nice guy. They I thought like he it. was be kind. He'd stop, you know, if a woman w- was having trouble in the street, he'd help him, He'd help him to the car, develop a relation. They think, hell, with this nice, good-looking guy. Then he gets them. He'd, he'd torture them and kill them and have sex with their dead body. I mean, you know. He, but you 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 couldn't tell that on on the surface mm-hmm. by his superficial social behavior. So yeah, Ted Bundy's a psychopath. Th- that,
0: yeah, when you talk like that, I think a poor end poor rule. You know, here she's working with him on the suicide hotline, not knowing what he actually is. You
1: yeah, know? yeah, you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the manipulation is uh, is astonishing, and you know, there's a lot of. Uh, psychopathic people who are um not crime criminals I mean th- they know how to they they're successful uh, uh, yeah do, do you hear that music is that yeah.
0: do you yeah, hear because that
1: no, oh, that's my uh, granddaughter. She's practicing the piano. I can ask her to stop. Is that? No, no, no. That's fine. I, I have no
0: problem with it. It's okay. I like it. I like it. I kind of asked her.
1: <laughs> okay. I'll tell her that when we stop.
0: Well, well, She's background
1: so music for us.
0: Yeah. See, that's it. And if it gets really intense, then we're doing real good. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: I actually thought it was coming from you. I thought, is it a commercial? <laughs>
0: Um, you know, people are fascinated with this stuff because there are people out there like like Ted Bundy and Edmund Camper, you know, and yeah. all these different guys. And, you know, more recently you get somebody like like um like uh, like the Night Stalker, you know, somebody like the, that.
1: The Night Stalker, yeah, I remember that guy. I remember him in the eighties and yeah. uh everybody uh he was in Southern California. In fact, some of the murders he committed were in Orange County, where I practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of anxiety about that and you know after he was caught i think he recently the past year or two died correctly in prison right, yeah um, i had a friend who um who was a prison psychologist and worked at the same prison as that he was housed in and uh, he would get visited by uh, a, a stream of women who wanted to marry him come and visit him and bring him things it's very very interesting <laughs>
0: Now, from your perspective, I'm gonna. Add, now that you opened that Pandora's box, yeah, yeah, From your perspective, what kind of woman wants to get involved with somebody like him, or say Ted Bundy, or you know something like that?
1: Well, uh, you know, I I wouldn't say one kind of. One. There's probably different kinds of uh, personality styles, right? That that do that uh and uh, there's uh, there's a kind of fascination with uh the the living on the edge with that kind of you know in my book i describe this uh human nature as demonic i don't know if you've seen. oh yeah yeah oh there that's there that it is <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah i i describe human nature as demonic and and i don't mean in that that i don't mean demonic in the in the uh, it's de- demonic i mm-hmm. i spell it in the greek uh, way, because I, I don't mean demons. I don't mean, uh, like ghosts, <laughs> uh, okay. or demon. I mean that it, it, I use it in a Plutonic sense that human, uh, Plato said like eroticism is demonic. It's, it's beyond reason. It's, uh, it, it's extraordinary. It moves, it moves us as mm-hmm. people so that, uh, the spectrum of the demon could go from what, what inspires artists inspires oh. us all to do to do things that are uh that are uh creative and generative but it also on the dark end of the, the demonic uh is is where you know this um capacity to be really evil is so uh you know i i always that's always in the background of my mind and i, I tried to keep it in the background of my book that you know, what happens that some people, uh, move more towards the dark end of the demonic. And I, I think women who, some of the women who, who, are, uh, who are interested in these kind of guys, there's a sort of fascination with staring in the face of that kind of, uh, that kind of evil yeah. and trying to, and maybe trying to, uh, get close to it and try to, um, nurture it as though that could make it get better. i I think a lot of you know it's sort of like alcohol, you know it's like an extreme version of uh, people who grew up in alcoholic families frequently end up marrying or being involved with alcohols alcoholics in and I've had this in, in my private practice people who do this and they they uh, they'll say, you know, I don't want to do that anymore, but then they'll end up meeting a guy and the guy be an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> is it think, well, what is, How does that happen? Well, I, I think there's sort of attraction to there's a attraction to a, a a past as a way of trying to master the past. Okay. It's it's almost it's um it's not it's not masochistic.
0: Uh-huh. It may
1: seem that way, but it's really more of a tendency, an attempt to redo the past. I mean, if I can make this person better, maybe I can feel better about my destructive
0: parents, for example. Sure, sure. sure.
1: So it's a psychological mechanism.
0: Because you, I mean, you see a lot of this, like with the Menendez brothers. You know, the the, the women that married them. You know, in the in the amount of mail they were getting from women. You no,
1: know, that, I didn't know that. That that's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, uh, uh, you you know you know somewhat more about these stories than I. Did did the are the Menendez brothers still in prison? Both of them, or is that yeah, right? Yeah, they're
0: actually in the same prison now. They they they, they put them together again oh. for the first time in like twenty one years. They're oh. together.
1: Where are they? Which prison?
0: I believe they're in San Diego. San Diego. Somewhere. Donovan?
1: Yeah. Yes, Donovan's, I think. Yeah, I Donovan's a, a tough prison.
0: Because uh, one of them was over here by me at um, Mule Creek.
1: Oh. Yeah, I um I worked for a while at CIW, California Institute for Women, uh, mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, but I know Donovan's very – I don't know how it is in the one up in Creek. Donovan's um very tough prison to work in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: uh,
0: are you ever um, – how do you interview these guys? Are, are, are they chained down when, when you – talk to them or how's that mm-hmm. work i mean to me well, walking in i mean i know you do this for a living i'm a crime beat reporter so I've, I've gone to jails and interviewed guys in jail okay but i'm just saying to me with that kind of past <laughs> i don't know i would be a little leery talking to these guys one on one
1: yeah my uh my friends sometimes say are you you okay going in and sometimes the deputies say you why don't you see them behind the one way behind the window you know with the phone and i you know for my evaluations Most of the time, because I'm most time I'm I'm doing uh, a mental state at the time of the offense. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to get into their subjective life. You have to develop a rapport. I have to do psychological testing so I can't Mm -hmm. do it on the phone or I can't do that uh, with them chained down. You know, I'd be, I'd, a lot of time i'm doing neuropsychological testing they have to they have to use their hands or they have to do things that i'm giving them to do or they have to even a psychological testing they have i have to give them something or i'm on the computer with them so um i i do i do have to uh, uh, be in the booth with them um, without any, I asked the deputies to take off the, some of they come in, you know, chained down sometimes, especially if they, have you know, if they killed someone and they're violent, uh-huh. have a violent history. But I, I, I asked the deputies to remove, move the chains because they're going to have to work with them. And sometimes they give me a hard time on that. And, they're, and they're, what they'll do is they'll chain their legs to the, you know, they're sitting on a stool and there's a metal rod at the bottom of that chain. So they can't go over the table and get me, but I've never been attacked. I've been doing this for over 25 years and never been attacked. Uh, that's for a few reasons. Um, first of all, there's no. If someone's a psychopath, for example. There's no ince- there's no incentive for them to do that to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's not in their interest. <laughs> uh, the The more the more uh, potential for that to happen is with someone who's delusional, who's psychotic, because I'm probing, uh, and that could be invasive and that can stir paranoia uh and and they might see me then as dangerous to them so that uh, so i have to be careful with that but that requires you know some clinical skill you have to know who you're talking to and knowing when to back off uh you know knowing when when you can probe knowing when the person's fragile have developing a rapport you know i have to develop a relationship with them because i'm i'm we're going into some things that um that I, you know, and I, and I prepare this for them at the beginning. I talk about what we're going to do, what I'm going to do. If there's anything, uh, that it's private, confidential. If it's if I was uh, retained by a, their attorney, but also that I'll be doing a report to the attorney. If the report uses, if the attorney uses it, it's not private anymore because then he's submitting me as a witness. But if he doesn't use it, then it stays private forever. Uh, so. And I, I tell them if I'm talking about something, if I ask you about something you're uncomfortable with, don't lie to me. Don't don't Just just, just tell me you don't want to talk about it, and then we'll decide what to do. Uh, but and it's ultimately up to you. Uh, so you know, I try to you know give a person the latitude that they deserve because it is you know their life. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, in that case, and and I've worked in um you know private and privately. I've had a lot of experience. My internship with, was in Orange County Mental Health, inpatient. So, uh, and, and the, this place I worked with every day, we'd have to rapidly evaluate uh, very psychotic people. Uh, so I have a lot of experience with, with craziness. I'm very comfortable with it. <laughs> so that helps me. And I think that helps in, in doing these kind of, uh, these kind of interviews.
0: That's right. My next question is this: You got you go to medical school,
1: graduate school, PhD. Grad,
0: okay, okay, PhD. Yeah. At what point? What what separates you from, say, a regular psychiatrist? Is is there like it's kind of like I always think of like a GM assembly line, you know, where they have. So they have the Chevys and they and they, and they have the Pontiacs yeah. right? right and then at some point on on some point on the assembly line the Chevys go this way and the Pontiacs yeah. go that way is that how it works you you, you decide what, what you're going to specialize in and then you branch off in, into your your division or is it one big lump of a thing
1: well no it's, the thing is um it's real different pathways to training uh, f- uh phys- psychiatrists are physicians so they go to medical school and then they have to select a, a specialty so psychiatrists uh selected psychiatry then they do 3 years of residency uh typically uh, in the hospital uh, and these days in, in for the past 30 35 years the emphasis is on um medication psychopharmacologic evaluation diagnosis and medication they are, unless they go for a post doctoral training uh, specialized training they really don't do much um, psychotherapy or psychological evaluation. They're much more symptom oriented.
0: Okay. And
1: that, in my opinion, is a problem, makes them very limited. Uh, important be what you need to medicate. If you need the medication, like mm-hmm. they, for some of the illness, but so, but to be a forensic psychologist, a forensic psychiatrist, you you then go for additional fellowship and okay. you learn and you, you learn to say, you know, there may be the fellowship may be very similar. To what I do, like I did the mental disability Lord's this that then these evaluations are the same, uh, mm-hmm. but you have a different background. My background, I've always been more interested in uh, psychology, philosophy, more of the social sciences, uh, and I got interested in the neuroscience in the as a back in the back door because I know with so many of these uh, men that I've that and women that I evaluate have had some. Kind of frequently have some kind of insult to their neurocognitive system. I right. mean, they've, they've been in fights, you know, they've been batted over the head, you know, they've been, or they, or they have learning disabilities and, uh, and or they have an AD, you know, so, kinds of issues like that, that, that um, require, a you know, certain kind of understanding of neu- uh, neuropsychology and, de- and neurodevelopment. Uh, and as a neuropsychologist uh, it's really helpful because I can do, Psychological te- neuropsychological testing that targets their functional ability, and that's really important legally uh, mm-hmm. to say because it doesn't matter if you have brain damage, it really doesn't matter legally unless that brain damage affected your mental state at the time of the crime
0: mm-hmm. or affects
1: your capacity for self regulation. So, you know, sometimes I'll evaluate someone and they have these problems, but you know, the the testing shows they have these problems, but my eva- to total evaluation shows they, they had intent at the time. So they're still, I, I can't tell the lawyer that, you no, know, because he has this problem, right. uh, he didn't have intention. Now he did. He knew what he was doing at the time. He did it purposefully, even though he has learning disabilities. or had. It, but, but I may be able to say it's mitigating because he's got frontal lobe problems. Because, so he's more impulsive. Uh, and he he doesn't. Then he's sorry for it afterwards. I and I can explain the re, the literature on that and the, and the results of the finding, and that will help in terms of mitigation. But basically, the difference between a forensic psychiatrist and a forensic psychologist is really one in emphasis. And
0: um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay, um, yeah, um, I, I, I you know on TV shows, Discovery, just you know, say Discovery Channel or whatever, yeah, they uh, have talked about looking at the human brain of these serial kill you know of these serial killers and whatnot yeah. have you done that at all to to you know try and explain what's going on
1: uh I, I'm kind of pretty familiar with the literature on the, the brains of psychopaths
0: okay
1: and you know and serial killers from cohort a subgroup of psychopaths
0: sure. I'm just saying you know but, if, if people with mental issues to 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 look at the brains and, and see what Oh, they're, yeah
1: they're, yeah with well, that see like. this, this is the, this is the thing though um it's very it's very dicey. It's very uh, uh the, the literature is is recent, past 20, 25 years. Uh that's recent. Uh and uh and there's not always a direct linear and causal connection between what you see on an MRI and someone's behavior. You know, so you can't really say, Oh, their MRI is abnormal, so they're excused. It's not that way. That that's why you you still you could that's what what I was saying about neuropsychological testing right. uh, you could, you have to see what are they what are their functional impairments because you know sometimes people for example not not in the uh, forensic arena but you, you you do mRI on someone and you go wow uh they they shouldn't be functioning as well as they are <laughs> you know always then you do an mRI on other people and you say they're older. The brain looks in good shape relative to, uh, uh, you know, someone their age, but they have impairments. Okay. So it's it's not a one-to-one relation. The brain is very complicated. And uh, probably what happens, different people, for different reasons, develop networks, neural networks around their de- deficiencies. So, uh, and some people don't. That's why it's good when you're young. Uh, when by the time you're 30, 40, to do different kinds of things, like it, if even if you're a, a brilliant neurophysicist, nuclear physicist, you probably it, you, you, you it will probably pay dividends for you to take literature courses, you know, to take poetry, do something because you're building different networks right. that will compensate. If you keep you can be a brilliant scientist, then as you're getting old in your 70s, if certain networks start fraying, that's it. But if you have comp- compensatory brain development you're in you know, if you if you started playing the guitar when you were you know 25 <laughs> so your brain you're, you're, di- you're using different parts of your brain so mm-hmm. so it, it's hard to tell you you just have to see someone's functional ability and, and how that functional ability may or may not have uh, contributed to the behavior at the time of the crime. So it has to be very specific. the law doesn't just say, "Well he's got brain damage, so he's excused it's it's much more than uh much more detailed than that uh and re- so it's always the behavior and the mental state at the time and that's uh, that's very it's very hard to do it's very complicated because um you know you you're trying to get into somebody's head uh. Right and you, you i can do all this testing and it's and a lot of it's very valid and i could i you know you have to meet certain standards of science on the instruments you use because they can call you on that you can't just use anything uh-huh. there are different standards the dalbert standard i don't know if you heard that or fry in california it's fry but uh so you have to steer they can call you on this test you used does it Uh, meet the standards of science? Is it it, uh, empirically validated? Is it peer reviewed? Is it accepted in science? What are the base rates? What are the error rates? Things like that. You have to be able to, you know, use instruments that have all this. But even then it comes down to what was this person going on with this person at the time? (laughs) So uh, that's what makes it interesting. That's uh, an area that I'm uh, as trained as a psychoanalyst it helps because that's that that's what psychoanalysts do you spend time dwelling in someone's internal life for long periods of time uh that's that's what it's that's the difference between psychoanalytic therapy and you know behavior therapy or cognitive behavior it's not just symptoms deal with that that's people criticize it about it but because it takes time and it's uh, more meandering it's not so focused but it is focused on the inner life so so in there i have a um and being on the couch for like six, seven years myself, I know, you know, I I, I had to dwell on my own inner life. So I'm yep. kind of familiar with that yeah, and comfortable with it again.
0: One thing that came to mind when you were talking um, was someone like Edmund Camper who was killing animals as a child. Hmm. I mean, were there ways, had somebody caught on to what he was doing? Were are there ways, like you say, like to switch the neurotransmitters, you know, to get them going in other directions, like you know somebody that has that tendency is there yeah. a way to shift their whatever their, their mind into not doing that stuff or, or going that direction
1: well it's not that easy i mean they put putting kids on medication is dicey um, uh-huh. but here's the thing you know you can go by um you know like you mentioned torturing animals so you, uh-huh. you might think oh that's a good symptom right that's to uh show if someone's doing that then get them in therapy yeah probably true that they're uh you know torturing animals something's wrong but the the thing is that you always have to consider base rates know what i mean by that is prevalence like what what is the percentage of people who tortured animals become serial killers (laughs) very small so you can't really make a, a generalization from that. You, you, you might think you can. It's sort of like to give a uh, an analogy. Um, let's see if I get this right with statistics. I kind of forgot uh, exactly, but something m- most people who have lung cancer mm-hmm. smoked, but most people, who smoke don't get lung cancer. I I don't remember the right. statistics, okay. but so you can't, you know, if someone smokes, you can't say you're going to get lung cancer. Most right. don't. And the, and the prevalence rate is even lower. If people who have who torture animals become serial killers or a psychopath, they, they have problems, but most of them have problems that should be addressed. Mm-hmm. But well, you know, whether they're going to be killers or psychopaths, it's not, it's not, it's, a, uh, uh, it, it, you have to do a more thorough kind of evaluation. Uh, and, and when they're really young, it's hard to know. Now, I have an interesting uh, story on this. When I was first starting my practice, uh, not, not forensic practice, just as a psychologist be, and, before I got into mental disability law and all mm-hmm. that, I, I saw a, um, um, uh, a mother, mother brought their little boys in. I don't know six seven the older one was maybe seven or eight and then one one's a little younger and uh because of a divorce and the mother was kind of a cold fish but she was she was very uh concerned and 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 a good mother but she was just emotionally stilted uh but trying her best with these two boys and uh, her husband left her um you know, I saw the two kids and, and the older boy was real responsive. You know, they, they, there was no big problems. They, you know, the mother was just wanted to get them help because of the dad leaving. And they were, she saw behavior changes. So, you know, some of the, the you know, play therapy kind of give them homework, have the mother deal with them differently. The the older boy was very responsive. And the mother would tell me, you know, the little guy, he just, he'd say, he he tells me, okay, everything's okay. He'll do it. But then he just doesn't do it. I noticed that too. And right, he just didn't just didn't uh respond but you know i saw them for a few months um the mother said okay you know what he's doing okay the older guy i'll, I'll work with the younger one fine so, you know years later i'm i'm in a hospital practice and and i'm I'm walking in the hospital and i see one of the men young men maybe 21 20 was I don't know how old he was early 20s he looks familiar and um i asked one of the nurses who's who's treating that kid there uh so she told me and I went over to the the doctor who was drinking. I said, What's the star? What's what's his name? I didn't want to look at the chart. So you're not supposed to look at someone else's chart. So he said, um, yeah, he's come in, uh, yeah, he's he's a little antisocial. You know, the lawyer put him in. I'm gonna discharge him. The lawyer thinks it's good because he's gonna look good if he's hospitalized because <laughs> he got a little depressed. But he's he's he was burglarizing places. And I said, What's his name? He told me his name. I said, Oh. Damn that! I know that. That's the little boy that I saw as a little kid. He was, he was just a little kind of sneaky. This wasn't really responsive. I wouldn't say he was anti. He was a psychopath. I mean, he was just. But you can see a difference in his in his temperament right from early on. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's what you're talking about, that's that's true. Yeah. Uh, and that that um, there's another interesting point that when uh, what what's naturally happens for the good or ill is uh is it's important between the match between the kid and the parents so if you have a kid that's impulsive that's um uh not doesn't learn from experience a lot tries to get around rules you need parent that set limits that's harder on them not cold because they need they need nurturance it's sort of like the term that's used in family therapy is a pat on the back and a kick in the ass. You got to do both. You got to, and and you got to kick them in the ass until they're controlling them and then pat them on the back. Uh, but so if you have a parent or parents, let's say that are English professors and, and I uh, think, you know, very uh, progressive and mm-hmm. don't want to stifle, it's not good for a kid like that. A kid like that needs somebody who's, you have to respond to the kid regardless of what your style is as a parent or your temperament or your personality. But and but on the other hand, if you have a kid who's aesthetically prone, uh, sensitive emotionally, and you have a father who wants him to be, I don't know, wants him to be a football player, so I'm pushing him into that, it's destructive <laughs> if you mm-hmm. don't see who your kid is and respond to them. Uh, so, you know, in that sense, I, I, I think um, – you know, th- that's what's important. Like this this mother though, with this two kids, she was doing really what she can. I mean, I can right. I can see that. But she, you know, she was a single mother, she was this financial issues that I mean it was it was hard on her. how, how much could she just bring the kid to therapy when she can? So life is doesn't always uh, afford you everything you need when you need it. <laughs>
0: Has there been any cases that you've worked on? You don't have to give names or anything like that, but any that really bothered you?
1: Oh, so many. <laughs> uh, bothered me in what way? Like that I felt, um, well, yeah. Just, I it's, mean, I can...
0: psych- it's just as a psych, you know, just with what you do and, and, and the crime they did and, and, and how, you know, once you got it in their head to see why they did it.
1: Yeah yeah i i have one case in the book that it was very difficult on I mean this woman who you know in a frenzy almost killed her lover a, a boy, boyfriend and and then killed his 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 sibling hmm. uh it was just horrible i mean she just went in a rage and uh she was very sick but she wasn't psychotic uh and she was just in a such a denial she had a severe- per- borderline personality disorder Um, and you know, the the lawyer was, um, um, called for an insanity defense and I, I couldn't get there on insanity. It's a complicated case, but it was very hard to say. The thing that was hard, I still testify that the case for her, her her issues, but I I could not testify about her being insane. Um, and she was found sane by the way, eventually, um but it was very hard because she was so, um, she, she was so disconnected and in denial about what she did that the consequences of what she did. And, uh, at the, he, at the, uh, trial being in there, I got there early and sitting there in the galley and then the the boyfriend came in and sat like on the, on the other side of the galley, but right across from me, um, it was very hard seeing that because I, I saw the interview of him, I saw the the the, the, the crime scene photos, and mm-hmm. uh, it it was um, I know what happened. I know what happened to him, uh, and he's probably looking at me with disdain, thinking I'm kind of trying to get his if get his uh, the 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 defendant off. Uh, mm-hmm. But I I wasn't. I was kind of presenting the, you know the the facts. But just seeing him there was I almost hit sick to my stomach. It just it was it was very difficult very hot. And other times, um, you know, another case, it's uh, again, this woman who, um, you know, killed one of her children, but she was, she was, she was psychotic. Uh, And she was, uh, it was, it was very sad. And the family, her husband, the father of them uh, testified, no, this is, she was ill. She loved her kids. And uh, this woman was found sane. She was, it was, hard to grasp what what they could see other than only I could um, uh, I can understand that the, the jury made that decision because she didn't have a long history of mental illness it was only for about nine months eight uh, no about a little over a year that she was decompensating for a lot of reasons but it was she didn't have a history of like if, if you know, someone has a history of schizophrenia and uh, it, the people i think uh a, a, a more understanding but they you know they saw the death of a child and the mother who did it and they just couldn't get around it and the you know and they it, it disturbed me at the the da at the um news conference afterwards commented she got what she deserved that she did it because she was angry at her her husband to get back at him that was totally Bullshit. And I even said, does, does he believe that? Does he believe that? It's, it's the kind of things like cases like that, the very, this very, uh, kind of crushing. Um, uh, mm-hmm. and, and just just the the, the human, um, the, the, the human tragedy of it all a child dying and, um, uh, the mother now probably in prison for 25 years. to, to mm-hmm. life, she really doesn't, uh, this was a disturbed woman. Um, uh, and even 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 the family, all the family came. I interviewed the family, uh, and it's kind of all about what was going on leading up to this. Um, but the uh, presentation was that she was getting back at her husband because of what he did with drugs. And that was like seven or eight years ago. They were, things have improved. The husband was working. He was trying to take care of her. In fact, there's a whole long thing. But a case like, like that, those things are very, um,
0: very hard. How do you shake that stuff off, though? I mean, you know, I remember as a news reporter, you know, c- covering these trials and some of them, man, you know, it's like it's just they're just so intense, even from my perspective, covering them, because, you know, you got crying families, you've got this going on, you got that going on. How do you go home and, and just shake that off?
1: I don't, <laughs> you know, like, uh, family, uh, people say to me, how do you compartmentalize? I said, I do not compartmentalize. If I did, that would be, that would be a problem. Uh, I couldn't do my job. Well, I'd end up being closed off. I'd end up being, mm-hmm. um, bitter, uh-huh. uh, but you have to process it. And I think it has a lot to do with, uh, how, <laughs> how acquainted you are with your own nature. The range of your own emotions and the acceptance the way the range of what people are capable of uh and tolerating that and absorbing it uh the your demonic nature <laughs> of everybody I, if if i can use my own phrase here but uh and i i don't uh i i don't cut it off i mean i don't just try to talk myself out of it i absorb it and uh kind of suffer with it for a while and, uh, like you do anything else, but, and you grow from it. Uh, and I, I, I think it gives me a dimension of understand of, of tolerating people. It's kind of makes you more humble, <laughs> really, uh, it makes you humble more accepting, uh, that, um, you know, people are complicated, unpredictable, uh, and, um, uh, even people do some bad things that, uh, they're still human beings that you, that in some ways they're, uh, they can be good, but the very, very, very bad. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just the complexity of the human life uh, that is sort of uh, absorbing. That is uh, paradoxically enriching, <laughs> if you, if I can say that, if that makes sense.
0: For somebody to do something heinous like that, I mean, there's of course you, you see the TV shows, you see the movies, you know, where somebody had an instant flash of anger and killed somebody. Yeah. Is that a viable defense? Or, I mean, does that, again, go back, you know, when a guy like you goes in to talk to them, you go back and look at certain things to see if there was a buildup to it.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's that's when uh, you're kind of making, uh, like, lawyers. I've done a lot of the cases like that. And lawyers kind of trying to make a distinction between murder and manslaughter. First Uh degree murder, second degree murder. And so manslaughter. Manslaughter is heat of passion, uh, crime. Uh Um, I have a chapter in that on this, and uh, on, on one gentleman. I, it's it's a few people I, I evaluate to try and make some distinctions on this, but um, it's on uh, you know, did someone commit this crime uh, in a in a state of extreme passion that a reasonably normal person would. you you, what you can imagine a reasonably average person committing it based on the, the kind of stress they were under at the time and their Mm -hmm. reaction. Um, so again, that, that requires, I mean, you can imagine how, um, uh, you you really have to get into somebody's head. You have to not just into their head. You have to really get into the details of their life objectively, Mm -hmm. just before it happened what was going on when it happened what happened afterwards to kind of start getting a total picture of whether this person whether it was premeditated which would be first degree murder if it's not premeditated but they at the time they wanted to they decided to kill him at the time or that they really were in such a state of rage uh that they really couldn't contain themselves so um yeah that that uh that's that's a difficult call to make sometimes
0: when you talk about the demonic mind um what comes to mind for me is that we all have these thoughts occasionally you know we all have anger thoughts we all have a fascination with this kind of thing you know the macabre or whatever we all have these thoughts but is the difference between say the criminal and us is because we don't act on them
1: exactly yeah that's exactly right everybody has those thoughts and uh uh what's his name david buzz i, I in, in my i think it's my final chapter i talk more about this he's a evolutionary psychologist and he's um he wrote a book on uh the murderer next door i think is the title of it you'd have to look at it in, uh I, I reference it but he talks about how the mind uh from an evolutionary point of view now uh, mm-hmm. is wired to kill <laughs> because you are know, why Through most of human history you stayed in a tribe and if there was a tribe outside of you you know you're fighting for resources basically i'm simplifying it but he goes into right, this right, right. uh that that so the you you go kill because there's limited resources so you know you stay with your tribe you kill outside your tribe uh and you get the to to, uh, to um, get the resources uh and he did a survey international survey and, and there was something like 90 percent of people Men and women have thought of killing somebody, seriously thought of it, not just oh, I feel like killing them. I have seriously thought, I would like to kill that person. Okay. Uh, but most people don't do it, right? right? That's the whole point. They don't do it. Uh, but there is that, that is there, that demonic, we are we, real, real capable of doing bad oh. things. Everybody's capable of it. In, in my opinion, and, and that's just my opinion. I mean, I think that's pretty well almost established. I mean, if it uh, comes down to it, you know, you uh, and this is what this this moral moral injury is about. You, you, mm-hmm. know, you know that term moral injury that, that so right. of study of that stuff. Now that you know someone uh, is in a predicament. And they kill someone. I mean, you're a police officer. You're, you're, you're in Vietnam. I have friends who were in Vietnam, or and then afterwards, though, the, you, you know, you st- unless you're a psychopath and nothing bothers you, you start when you're outside of the of the danger. You start re- recalling what you did, and um, for most of us, it's not a, it's uh, difficult to tolerate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, you know, this, the, uh, studies on, um, you know, the tro- tro- trolley triology, they call it tri- the studies about the trolley and all that, that, right. uh, do, you familiar with that, that, that there's a, and this looking at the brain and certain parts of the brain react right. when you, when you're pushing someone, if you think about pushing someone to kill, kill one person to save five, that kind of thing, different parts of the brain light up, but th- there is a moral hesitancy to do things like that, mm-hmm. uh, that's also hardwired. So there's hardwired to be good, and there's hardwired to be not so good. Uh, so with the, the architecture of our of of our nature uh, is wide ranging and gives us a lot of options. And that's understandable because we needed a lot of options to uh, to evolve. You know, yeah, the for most of our, our human history. You know, we didn't have refrigerators. I mean, we didn't go out and get food or make it. And if we didn't get it, we're gonna starve to death. There's no one, no one's gonna take care of us. Right. So uh so you stayed in your tribe. Uh you, you there's division of labor in the tribe, uh, and you get violent as hell, you know, and and uh, and that and when you have to. Uh but you're attached to your tribe, mm-hmm. right? To the members of your tribe. So you got a range of, uh, of uh, options in the way and, and a range of um, skills that are really architecturally, bio, bio-architecturally established over eons of time. Um, so that's who we are, for better or uh, worse.
0: When you go in to evaluate somebody, say, for a, a, tri- a trial, obviously you're doing it in, in a prison setting you know, where you're sitting across the table from, like you said. How long does it take to do that evaluation?
1: Um, Oh, I, you know, for for these, you know, I also do simpler kind of evaluations, like uh, competency to stand trial. Those are more functional. They're not hard to do that. like about an hour. Uh, But to do these kind of evaluations, I'll be with them for three, four hours. And the problem is you got to go to the bathroom. You can't go to the bathroom. (laughs) because That will take hours. Then you got to come back. But then I I have to see multiple times. So it takes, you know, it depends on the the, depends on the patient the defendant um the quality of their uh cooperation um if i have to do neuropsychological testing it's even longer that takes you know that could be you know six hours just to do that testing never mind all the, the history taking the uh, going over the crime i, I have to, you know usually I have to go over to if i can in his resources a few times with them and i'll say that you think about what we talked about i'm going to think about it then i'm going to come back and i'm going to go through this again (laughs) so because if it goes to trial i have to feel um pretty certain i mean if i'm going to be on the witness stand i want to know what i'm talking about at least as much as i can also the other thing that we didn't get into you have to rule out faking okay You know, I mean, people have a, uh, there's an incentive to exaggerate symptoms or minimize things that they are. So, so, uh, in these cases, I always have to do testing and, uh, and keep in mind the possibility of, uh, of the, of a, dist- uh, symptom distortion, either because purposely or unconsciously because, people who have emotional problems have distorted perceptions of themselves and others mm-hmm. even if they're not psychotic they just uh, so you you know so that takes a lot of um, thinking through and testing and a lot of the testing I do has have established validity scales that are you know pretty pretty sophisticated but you still have to interpret them uh-huh. It's like everything it just does you just don't read it. And it's the answer. And then I'll, I may have to go back and say, look, this is what I've seen in this, what you, 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 answer this on this way on these scales, but that's not what I see. And the testing, you know, uh, would suggest you're, you're kind of exaggerating some what's going on. Because, uh, you know, you know, and I have to, you know, to have to deal with that and i have to tell the lawyer, look, he's not, he's not being honest. Uh, he's not credible you know I have to have these talks with the attorneys those are difficult (laughs) you know I have attorneys say oh don't tell me that I say you know they're because they're they may be in a bind you know they want they're hoping for insanity and I will say I can't get there and they go don't tell me that can said I'm sorry (laughs) I "I can't get there (laughs) so um you know you run into all kinds of uh all kinds of things
0: well, that would be, I, th- I think, somebody who wouldn't want to go to jail, who wouldn't want to spend time in prison. They'd rather spend time in a hospital.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They'd rather be going to the hospital or, um yeah, or uh, even if they uh, they don't want to go to the hospital, they don't want to. I, I'm, I gave the example of insanity, but a lot of times the attorney and the client will say, we have to work that out and say, okay, there, there may be an insanity defense here. But do we want an insanity defense? Because if I'm found insane, they could, you know, unless it's like a first degree murder, you're going to get life in prison. You can end up in a, in a a forensic hospital for longer than you would be if you found guilty of the Mm -hmm. crime. Because in order to get out after being found uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, you have to have two, two mental health experts agree that that person is now has a, his or her insanity sanity restored and is not a danger to the community mm-hmm. and even then they just don't let him out of jail they, i mean they do let him out of prison but they have to go to a, like a board and care home they're still on the watch for another and if i'll be on per, parole uh for a long period of time in a c- confined uh uh, uh Boarding care home kind of thing. So, so it's, um, you know, that's, that's another consideration a lot of times. Right, I right, mean, if right. somebody is very mentally ill, it's not a consideration. You know, okay. if somebody has a long history of severe illness and they end up, you know, waking up at, uh, in the morning and feeling like that their, their father is a, you know, uh, a terrorist is going to kill them or it's going to end the world if I don't kill them. instead you know, that person, there's no doubt that you know, this person's, you got, you know, it's, it would be malpractice not to uh, file for insanity. Uh, but when the case is dicey uh, and they hope, well, you know, if we, maybe we can try to get second degree murder or manslaughter, uh, right. uh, but it's, this person probably is a candidate for insanity, but maybe we can negotiate if I get the, if I get a, an evaluation showing that documenting their illness, maybe you know, maybe we can uh, do something else that the person could uh, uh, do other, other than other than found insane and go to a hospital for god knows how long, maybe forever. <laughs> so I read an
0: from your book. Your book is fascinating. Oh, yeah, like, like I like I told people before, I've been a crime beat reporter for SIT. about uh, I spent seven years on the beat.
1: Really, wow! So I
0: saw quite a bit. Small, yeah. it was a small town, a smaller, a smaller city, but even even the small cities have excitement. Just put it out. Oh way.
1: yeah, the people are people.
0: More people, you know. Just <laughs> so, more
1: people in big cities. So,
0: so your so your book's really you know anybody that's interested in that book should read it. It's, it's fast. It's a fascinating read. Absolutely fascinating.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: I wanted to ask you about someone like Ed guy who, you know, who. His mother. I mean, let's, let's get the bottom line on it. his mother. You know, how can you know how could a parent have that much influence over a son like that to get him to the point where he was?
1: Oh, who is that? I'm not sure. Uh, the who? He's the who one
0: is- that that uh, back east that uh, they based Silence of the Lambs on.
1: Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah that's that they amazing. based
0: that uh, Buffalo Bill on. You know where he was he was uh, digging up the dead women and using their you know keeping their skin and putting the skin on and all this was going on and okay eating out of skull caps and all this okay can push a child to
1: no no way no you can't blame that on his mother
0: (laughs) okay that's what i'm saying i mean mean, that's maybe his
1: mother didn't help but that that's really uh... when
0: you read the books on it that's all they talk about is how His mother was really overbearing on him, and and that's what caused him. He was always looking for his mother after she died.
1: Yeah. No, I don't don't know the case. But this is what I'm talking about with base rates. Okay. How many mothers are overbearing? And how many families overbearing mothers, everbearing fathers, uh, neglectful parents? How many of those become like that guy? Right, you know something else is going on there. You know, I first realized that before I even started graduate school. I was working at Payne Whitney as a on the nursing staff before I started uh-huh. graduate school, and uh, this was in the in the early seventies. And um, my task was to just orient new patients. And I'm taking this guy up to uh, an elevator, and I remember his name. His name was Eli, because mm-hmm. the, the the song that we, had been out that I liked for a few years earlier was. Eli's coming hide your heart good you know that song You're, yeah, yeah. that's so I think like, oh Eli okay so I'm going to stay now I'm I'm going up the stem I'm, I'm sort of talking to him he's gone he's kind of just nodding and now I know that look in the eye that I didn't know it then that he was like out to lunch so I take him to his room and this is in New York right on the East River it's uh Peyton Whitney clinical Cornell Medical School uh, it's right along FDR Drive, if you're familiar with the city and it's the East River. So as I'm orienting him, I notice I get, I look up and he's standing on the desk over the window, like with his hands outstretched. And I said, you know, Eli, w- what are you doing? And the staff heard me calling him. They came in and I was only there for a few weeks at that point. So they came in, the, the resident, psych, resident psychiatrist came in, took him down. I went in the nursing station and I was kind of baffled. Uh, and the uh, so the staff came in and kind of looked at me and smiled. And I said, what, what's going on there? What happened? So they said, uh, Eli was going to part the East River. He was there trying to part the East River. Okay. I said, what the? Are you serious? <laughs> you know, I knew about schizophrenia. I mean, from reading about it in undergraduate, but I never saw that before. And I remember they were kind of laughing. I was just stunned. I was, I was just stunned by it. And I, I remember thinking, I said it to the to the psychiatrist, the resident. His mother didn't do that. Something's really wrong with that. What makes someone like that? And is he kind of is that "That's the big question." <laughs> so you yeah, there's me, more going on than an overbearing mother with that. You guy.
0: make me think of that that segment of Fraser when both brothers were um, uh, being psychiatrists to the old man that 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 was really wealthy. He would give away his money and stuff and. And yeah. Niall talks to him and says, well, he's got, you know, he's got dementia problems and all this. And Frazier says, oh, no, he's just he's, he's, you know, he's just a fun guy that just, you know, he, he just likes to do fun things. And then while they're, while they're in court, a uh, guy gets up and he puts his train hat on. He blows the train whistle and he says, yeah. oh, Lord.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the way I felt with Eli. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so yeah, overbearing mother, no. No. No, that overbearing mother could because cause problems. You know, overbearing mothers—if you have that—it causes internal problems. You know, mm-hmm. you get neurotic, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you get you get issues. You get maybe anxiety issues. You have issues sure. with men or with women. You have—you you don't get—you you don't get that sadistically bizarre, right? Unless there's more going on with you the more going on in your mind and your biology it's it's a, it's a host of things that that are going to cause something like that yes the mothers are blame too much
0: <laughs> it's great to have books like yours because it gives people a better understanding just like talking with you tonight right it gives people a better understanding of, of what goes on and, and and it you know from your end you know from your end and in, from their end yeah, because well, that's why, you know, people just see what they see on TV and whatnot, and they hear about the big cases. Like you know, we talked about Bundy and we talked about Gene. Yeah, you know, right. Kemper, you just you you know, you see these things, and then you think, well, they're all like that, but they're really yeah. not because a lot more goes into it than 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 what's in, in books and TV.
1: Yeah, that's why it's hard. It's it's bad to draw too many conclusions from like a few cases, sensational cases. But you can't mm-hmm. you can't help it. I mean, it's even bad to. uh develop law, you see this all the time, something happens and then Congress reacts and they're gonna have a law. It's based on, you know, you got, you got, you get in some experts to think about this before. Look at the, don't don't just establish laws over some sensational act that could be just a distortion of of the complexity of the issue. Uh, But, you know, that's just uh, not what happens, but that's partly why I wrote the book. I mean, it was partly because I, you know, I've been doing this for so long, I, I wanted to uh, contribute some kind of something in a meaningful way that I thought I could. Um, and and in a way that, you know, shed actually the the difficulties, I try to share my own insecurities about things in the book. Uh, you know, it's not, and I look at TV shows, and you know, they always have, you know, when they have expert witnesses testifying, you know, mm-hmm. they, they all seem so Haughty and sure you know, I don't uh, that ain't the way I feel. <laughs> you know, you're kind of really nervous up there. You kind of, you don't want to blow it. Uh, you don't want to make, make a fool of yourself. And also you, you don't, you want to, this, this person's life is on the line. Right. Here. right. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's very stressful.
0: In some cases, will there be uh, a psychiatrist who comes in for the defense and one that comes in for the prosecution?
1: Yes. It's in the, especially in the, usually in the, uh, insanity defense, because mostly the, um, you know, uh, the, the prosecution is not going to hire someone. They, they, okay. they, you know, they're out to, they're prosecuting, <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll hire someone if they need to. Um, like if the, if, if you, uh, if the lawyer, especially for insanity says, you know, I'm, i want to, def- I, I'm, I uh, claim my pay, my, the, mm-hmm. my clients, uh, insane. And I, I, am going to have a, a, an expert evaluate. And then they're going to say, well, we want our expert evaluating. And then, then, you know, then you're off. Either they'll hire yeah. someone or the court. Freaking those cases, the court appoints two of us and the point, and they may, and, you know, we usually, you know, this is, again, uh, the court may appoint two and then the, the, uh, lawyers, for the defense might hire per, you know, like they might hire me, even though someone else is doing it for the court. Right. So they want two opinions. So they want to know, they want kind of multiple opinions. They want multiple perspectives uh, before they, uh, you know, so they know how to come out this at trial. So, okay. oh, cool. uh, but yeah, that's usually that when the prosecution uh, comes in.
0: Sir, it has been fun this hour, picking your brain. I appreciate you answering all my questions.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I this really do. And
0: I, 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 I'm going to read more of your book. I was able to say I've had a real busy couple of weeks, so I skimmed through it. But um, mm-hmm. I okay. intend to read from cover to cover every page of your book. I want to do that. I have a okay. copy here.
1: Great. I hope it's uh, useful to you.
0: And I want to thank you for coming on.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. I, appreciate I really it.
0: appreciate it. Now, I have one more question that I ask everybody. and yeah. It's kind of a funny question. You are on the strip in Las Vegas, and there are other forensic psychi- psychologists out there, and they have books. Yeah. How do you get people to come in and read your book?
1: Uh, well, I, I think uh, what I've I tried to do, I think that's different in my book. I, I share a lot of myself in the book and my own uh, thought process, uh, my own hesitations, my own uh, vulnerabilities. My own struggle, my own emotions on these cases. So I, do, I just try don't try to give a cold, objective, expert uh, perspective. I I think I do that, but I also give what's behind that and since what the struggle is to get to that. So I, I feel like it's um, I try to be more u- human in okay. in uh, in my writing. Uh, okay. So. I think that helps. And that's my, my, the feedback I get from my friends, but they're my friends. So you, know, uh, you let me, know when you read it, email me if that seems to come through.
0: <laughs> I got that. Uh, how can people reach you?
1: Um, they can uh, reach me through my website, crimepsychologist.com and there's my phone number and uh, you know, uh, contact information is on that.
0: And how do they get their book? Uh, get the book.
1: Yeah, they can get the book in you know uh, all, all all the outlets they from uh, on on the internet you know Amazon, uh, Bonds and Noble, uh, so all these all the different venues or in bookstores. It's, it's in bookstores.
0: Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Thank you so much again. I would love to have you on another time to pick your brain some more and t- and really go into your book and stuff because I, I really have enjoyed this and I learned so much from you.
1: Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you. And yeah, just uh, let me know. I'll be glad to come down there with you again. It was, this was fun.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And fair enough. Thank you so much, sir.
1: Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. You have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. I don't know about you guys, but I really learned a lot, you know, talking about this stuff because it's fascinating. And like, like I said, you see a lot of this stuff on TV, but it just doesn't hit well until you talk to someone who, who actually is out in the field doing it. Tomorrow, we are going to change gears a little bit. Julie Ryan is going to be on with us, and she is going to be talking about the 12 steps of transition when someone is dying. And I heard her on another show, and what she has to say is absolutely fascinating. So she's going to be with us tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So I just want to give you guys a heads up to that. Also, if you like the show, share it with fire. Oh, you know what I almost forgot? So, yeah, I'm getting forgetful in my old days. I had my birthday and now I'm getting senile. Um, I'm teaching a class on Saturday at 2 p.m. I tried to skip, I didn't want to do Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know how you guys are about the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm teaching a class about protection. If you're having issues in your house with uh, objects moving around, voices, whatever, ghosties, you know, if you, if you think there's a ghosty or something in your house, I can teach you how to protect yourself in very simple ways. You know, from that. I'm also I, I can also teach you if you're out ghost hunting, or you hang out in haunted places for fun. I can teach you ways to protect yourself that that way too. So if you're interested in taking the class, go ahead and go to the uh, California Haunts Radio website, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, and um, excuse me, a second, and uh, check it out. Go up all the way to the end. Click on that uh thing at the top. <laughs> it's one of those nights. Everything's a thing. And special events will drop down. You you can check it out from there. But anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it it with your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And if you're watching on YouTube, please, please, please subscribe. Down in the bottom right-hand corner, you're, you're going to see a little ghost with a Sherlock Holmes hat on and a magnifying glass. And that's our mascot for California Haunts. And if you click on that, that'll put you to the subscribe point. If you have trouble finding us online uh, via YouTube, you can visit CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, And this video right now is going out live on the front of the website. Click on it, and it'll take you over to our YouTube videos. Plus, like I said, there's archives. Go up to where it says archives, and you can go all the way back a whole year and a half of these shows. And then eventually you're going to be able to go back a whole 15 years of our other shows on Block Talk Radio. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, and I appreciate you coming on and listening and putting up with me and my oh yes and stuff, you know, when I get lost in what I'm saying. Uh, You see that ticker rolling across the bottom? This is my PBS moment. Uh, California Hot Spirits Investigation Team is nonprofit, so we uh, only accept donations when we're out doing our work. So that means the radio show comes out of my pocket, which means the Internet, uh, StreamYard, uh, all the broadcasting equipment headphones you name it it all comes out of my pocket and uh when something goes down i've got to make up the cost and get things going so if you could donate a little bit to us to keep us on the air that would be great i would really appreciate it because i want to keep these great guests coming um like i said i you know i I just love doing the show i'm a journalist and uh this gives me time to be a journalist and a ghost hunter at the same time so i got the world by by the tail as they say so if you could do that that'd be great that would be paypal.me at california haunts or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, you can go to Venmo and then type in California Haunts and we'll pop up right there. But I really appreciate it. Anyway, I thank you all for coming tonight. And again, tomorrow's guest will be Julie Ryan, the 12 steps of transition uh, during the dying process. And I think it's going to be a very interesting show for people that have lost loved ones and people that are in the process of losing loved ones. I think it's going to make everybody feel a little better. I've, I've Like I said, I heard her on another radio show and I also was on her website checking things out and it's a very very interesting uh process that that she describes all right well i will see you tomorrow and i'm going to go ahead and run his info with his book so here we go oh wrong button sorry guys see there's like a buttons uh website (laughs) crimepsychologist.com and that book is decoding madness A Forensic Psychologist Explores the Criminal Mind. And you can get that at Amazon and off of his website. Anyway, I want to thank you guys again. I will see you tomorrow and have a good evening.